It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro here once again in the front row. We've got J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, director behind the scenes. Coming up today, episode number nine, Antoine Richardson. Who is that? Very interesting story. He is currently the first base coach for the San Francisco Giants, but so much more. One of just seven players from the Bahamas to play Major League Baseball. We'll hear about that. We'll hear about his role in a big moment for Derek Jeter and also what he has in common with Clayton Kershaw. A couple of Hall of Famers there. Also on a coaching staff with Gabe Kapler, who was the manager of the year. We'll talk all that and what he's trying to do with the youth in the Bahamas to get more people involved in baseball and more in Major League Baseball. All that coming up, episode number nine of In the Front Row. Antoine Richardson, uh, thank you so much for joining us here today. What a, a great story you have that we're going to dive into here. But uh, you're on the road, I'm on the road, and, and I appreciate you joining us here from the road today. Mike, thanks for having me, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show today. Um, look forward to you roasting me a little bit and getting some information. <laughs> well, no roast here. We're, we're going to get into so, some great stuff for our, our <laughs> Our fellow friend, I guess Joe Rosen, helped connect us here and, and get us together to talk about your story. And as you can tell, a little bit of an accent. Uh, you're from the Bahamas. Uh, you're a guy that was born in Nassau uh, in the early 80s. What was like uh, life like for you in the early 80s going into the 90s uh, growing up in the Bahamas? Um, I think it's kind of what people envision it. Um, really relaxed. Um you know, I think that the pace of life is definitely a lot slower than um, than America when I when I got over here. Um, but I think of people that really love people, right? I think like I think of a, a country that thinks about like taking care of its own and and multiple people investing in, in people to try to help people get to to reach their goals. And I think um, the epitome of of where I'm at and some of the accomplishments that I've um, been able to achieve um, in my lifetime. Um, it's definitely attributed to so many people back home in the Bahamas that have played such a vital role in, in my success. And so uh, when I think of the Bahamas, I just think of love. Um, I think of the beautiful people that just pour everything they can into into others uh, for their success. And for you, that love came from your mom and your your, your grandmothers, right? They were the ones that kind of helped raise you? Yeah, I would say they were the foundation of it all, man. I think my grandmother um, was a really important part to to me growing up. My mom worked a lot, and so I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. Um, and she uh, she whooped me into in, into shape as, as best as she could. Um, and then my mom uh, just worked really, really hard and, and just put me in some really good situations um, to allow me uh, to kind of take off um, and just challenge me every step of the way. Um, with my decision-making process and just kind of pushing me um, to always to always reach reach the most that my body and my mind could uh, could get to, and so um, definitely those two women are really special women in my life that have um, that have attributed a lot to the good parts of me. <laughs> well, those good parts are, are part of it was uh, hardworking, and as a young age, you were working. Tell us about the, the job that you had. It was a very unique job. Uh, looking at your bio earlier today, well, it, it it's been it was a lot of different jobs to be honest. Um, so yeah, you could be referring to a lot of them, but I know um you know I, I used to sell fruit on the side of the road. Um, you know my my grandfather had a piece of land and they had um we had a farm there, and so he would go in and gather fruit. Um, and so he'd bring them back to the house, and I would go out um um on the road and I'd sell I'd sell the fruit that he he brought, and it was. You know, it was actually, it was really fun. It was fun to be a part of. I felt like I was a part of the family and I got to be a part of the the business, so to speak. Um, and so that was just always something that I honored and cherished those moments. Um, I pumped gas at a gas station. Um, I have, I was a porter at the at the airlines, like taking the, the uh, tourist bags off the airplanes and, and pushing them to the cars. So um, I've done a lot of different jobs growing up, man. <laughs> Well, certainly that desire uh, and that work ethic helped you as you, you moved along in your career. Again, we'll talk about that in a moment. But for you, when did sports become part of, of your life and your fabric and, and something that you saw as maybe, you know, a way to to move on from the Bahamas? Honestly, I, I actually didn't recognize the um, 
the role of sports was going to play into in my life until I actually got to America. Um, but I will say, you know, I grew up in a family. Uh, my mom was 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 one of the probably the best athletes um, in in high school from the stories I've heard uh, from people in the past. And she would, I mean, we would run, we would race against each other a lot growing up. And I still haven't beat her in a races yet. Um, you know, I've heard stories about my aunts and my uncles. And so I've, I've, my uh, my great grandmother um, won at Davis Cup in tennis. And so like had a really talented um, uh, family when it comes to athletics. And so it was always kind of ingrained in our, in our family. But I do remember a pivotal time in, in my athletic career in the Bahamas. Uh, I was, it was in the sixth grade, actually. Um, so I grew up always being the third or fourth fastest guy in, in my grade. And I would always get like, I'd always come third or fourth. It was ne never, ever um, could, could, could get to second or first. And I remember in the sixth grade, um, <laughs> and it's funny because one of the guys in, in my class, he, he, he brings it up to this day. He's like, I'll never forget this day. So we had a, we had a track meet and, you know, the two, two guys were favorite. They literally would win every single time. And whatever reason, this particular race, um, everybody had their money on these other two guys. And for somehow I won the race and I, I still don't know how I won the race, but ever since that point, um, I kind of took off athletically from a, you know, from a sprinting standpoint and starting to get more confidence in the games. Um, and then at the age of 14, I got an opportunity to, to come to America and, and pursue an education through sports. And um, as I was as I was going through that process, I still wasn't sure about the role that, that um, sports was going to play because I just wasn't very good at baseball. I grew up playing fast pit softball, as you know. Um, and in my junior year, uh, there was a young man from the Bahamas. His name was Angelo Burroughs. He was drafted by the um, Atlanta Braves. I, I'm pretty sure it was the Atlanta Braves. And that was the first time that I actually thought like, wow, like actually um, sports can play a pivotal role in, in, in this journey. And so seeing a fellow Bahamian, someone that I could actually like resonate with, have some success, I think was the, the platform or the springboard for me. But before that, though, you mentioned softball. You were cut from your your softball team. Is, so, so you know, how do you kind of take that and, and then maybe put it to word? Okay, I'm going to get better at this. You know, it's it's funny because you know I, I talked about the sixth grade where like I gained this confidence from winning this race, and I go to the seventh grade and I try out for the softball team and I get cut. Uh, we talk a lot about sports being very humbling. So what a humbling experience, right? Um, but. I think the support, the support that was around me, right? I think my grandmother, my mother, um, and it was a support of love and it would, but it also wasn't a pat on the back, like, hey, it's okay. It was like, well, you need to, you need to like figure out what it is that you need to get better at and let's go, let's put in the work and I'll be here to support you along the way. And I think, um, you know, that support system had been there the whole entire time. Um, but a, a critical piece of that support system was if you fall, like we'll be here to catch. Right. And it wasn't a crutch, but it was letting you know, like, be fearless in your pursuit of your dreams. Um, but no matter what, man, you have a you have a family here that's going to love you um, for that journey, going to love you for that process of going through it all. And so um, that was um, the, the biggest confidence that I took into my life and still to this day, hold on to dearly. Yeah, it's great to have, like you said, that that great support system that you had. And eventually, as I said, the, they kind of send you away. You go to, to Florida. You you go to, to play at a high school there. What was that like for you to leave the Bahamas, maybe for the first time for you, as you said, to, to pursue and, and to see where your athletic career could take you? Yeah, it was definitely the first time in that capacity for, um, by myself, right, and uh, for an extended period of time. And, I mean, what it was was a, shock, uh, a culture shock. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, um I ended up going to a school where um, was predominantly white. I just came from a country that's predominantly um, black, and so in itself, like that was a like culture shock for me. Um, I think I might have been one of uh, maybe five black people in the entire school, and so um, and also um, just from a economic standpoint, um, it was like one of the wealthiest places I've ever been in my life. I was in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, I had sixteen-year-olds driving Mercedes Benz and. I just came from the Bahamas, piling in a in a little uh, pinto, you know, with seven people uh, going from one from point A to point B, and so um, it was definitely just a whole different world. And my eyes were my eyes just were like really wide because it it was things I just I just hadn't seen before, right? It, it was like I was watching TV, and even the TV that I was able to get in the Bahamas, I couldn't see these stories, 
And so, um, so for me, it was just a really, a really big culture shock and it was tough and it was really, it was really challenging. Um, I felt homesick because I, I felt like I did not belong. I, I felt it was very foreign. Um, but um, once again, like there's so many people around me um, that continue to like to push me into this 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 um, this place of uncomfortability, um, knowing that it would um, it would it would have a chance to garner some garner some success. And so, um, yeah, it, I I wish I could say it was like really really cool transition, but it was hard. I mean, up to this point, I could probably still say it's probably the most challenging part of my life um, so far. And again, did you lean back on your 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 mom, your grandmother, to kind of you know help you through that time, even though they weren't with you in Florida? But did you lean on them? Absolutely. Um, like you know, people laugh at me this day because I, I have this saying. I was like, um, no matter what happens, my Grammy's gonna love me, right? <laughs> and so uh, that's just something I carried with me, and I just you know like no matter what, I, I just I really like just kind of lean into that love and knowing that like. Um, as long as, you know, you put all I, I, I put everything I can into whatever activity it is, um, I still have a, the most important part, like one of the most important parts of my life is my family and, and that's not going to change, right? Like, um, and so the way I pour into that is like where the success is going to really be valued. Like, you know, how do I pour into my family and the people that love me? Um, these other things that I do is just uh, icing on the cake. And I think, um, you know, holding on to that has given me a lot of perspective um on this journey and being away from the family so much is just really um being comf comforting to like know i could hold on to that piece again in high school you you played baseball you played football as well i would assume that's where your your speed maybe came into play as well what was your football career like <laughs> well the speed had to come in come into play because i was very tiny and i had to run away from some people um i'll tell you that um but yeah, I always, it was something I always enjoyed. Um, I didn't really understand it growing up because once again, it wasn't a sport that was, um, I was familiar playing with in the Bahamas. Um, but once I got to, um, to America, um, I think some of the coaches saw that I could run a little bit and it's like, Hey, this might be an opportunity. And so, um, you know, I would just get the ball and run and just try to run away from the people with the other uniform on. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I used to try to keep it that simple. Um, and it was thrown to me, just try to catch it. And so, um, and I had some success. I had some success. Um, it was, it was a really fun time. Um, had some opportunities to, to pursue it in college. Um, uh, my mom wasn't too excited about that. <laughs> she was just, uh, I'm not coming to watch you play. I just can't watch, uh, these big guys knock my little baby, baby around. Um, and so ultimately, uh, you know, after, after a while I realized, hey, man, I don't necessarily know if this could be the smartest thing for me at, at longevity. Um, and just kind of pivoted to, to baseball uh, later on. And not only athletics, but but you excelled in the classroom as well in high school. You were a class salutatorian. Um, so, again, you talk about the transition, but educationally, why did it, maybe on paper at least, it looks like it was an, an easy like transition for you. Transition. Yeah, it's it's. It's, I, you know, it is amazing. I think um, there was a responsibility once I left the island. Uh, it was a responsibility to to succeed and do well and and, and kind of create a path for others to have those opportunities. And so I really immersed myself in, in my education um, as well as the, the craft of my sport. Um, and just sticking on the educational part, my grandmother was a teacher and obviously um, she was a really important part in my life. Um, and so I just really wanted to make sure that I, I gave this I gave this opportunity my all. Um, I felt as if um, I felt as if I had I had a chance to um, really open the doors for more Bahamians to, to 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 like go down this path and have this opportunity. And so um, I I was just I was just super focused, man. I, I mean I came from the Bahamas and I can't say I was a, I was a student in the Bahamas. I was somewhere around a C student to be quite frank. Um, and I probably had a little bit more distractions when I was back home. And so, um, coming over here though, uh, it challenged me to kind of focus a little bit. Um, and with that focus ended up, uh, doing well, at, doing well at, at the classroom. I think my mom was funny. My mom was really excited about it, but she was also probably a little pissed off because she was like, you wasted all, you wasted my time when you were back home. And so, uh, I, I couldn't win for losing in that situation. <laughs> hey, well, I'm sure she was happy though when... You got a scholarship to Brown. 
You, you you had a chance to go to an Ivy League school. You didn't go there though. You went to to Palm Beach Community College as well. In, instead, kind of to pursue the the athletic side, the baseball side. But what was it like? And was that a hard, you know, conversation with your mom to say, "Listen, I'm not going to go to Brown. I'm doing this, you know, taking this other route." Yeah. So mom was a hundred percent supportive. Um, from day one, she was like, "Hey." You know, it's your decision, whatever decision you make, I'm going to be 120% behind you. So that that was the easy part. And I actually, um, I really cherished my mother for um, empowering me to make that decision. Because at that point in time, I, I had to take ownership of, of my life and my career, right? Like, I think if she had said, hey, you should do this or you should do that, I would have, it would have always been a little crutch for me um, in this pursuit and be like, well, you know, my mom told me to do this or my mom told me to do that. And so I really cherish the fact that she she put it on me to take ownership for the direction of, of my life at that point in time. And I'm sure if she thought I was making a catastrophic decision, she would have been like, oh, pump the brakes, you know. Um, but I'll tell you the toughest conversations were with my teachers. Um, my teachers at American Heritage, um, that was a tough pill for them to swallow. I, they were so excited about the opportunity for me to go to Brown. And when they heard that, like, I was deciding against going to Brown to go to a junior college, it, I, I think it was really heartbreaking to some of them. Um, but ultimately, I, I really felt supported by them as well. Um, and I can say, you know, at that point in time, um, I didn't realize I didn't realize the prestige of Brown at that time. Like, once again, like you talk about culture shocks for me um ivy leagues I, you know i only thing i knew about ivy was like poison ivy right like and so um at that point in time i i, I had no idea the prestige of, of an ivy league school um you know my goal from day one was just to get a college education and so i didn't necessarily recognize the uh you know the difference of how these 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 uh institutions uh were were seen in in the eye of society and so, um, so it was, it was an easy decision for me, you know, when I kind of like bubble it down. Um, but, and I, and I'm glad it happened that way. Cause if I, I think if I complicated it, who knows where I would have been at this point in time. <laughs> well, well, Palm Beach Community College, I mean, it's a, it's a it's good school, obviously, but it's a good uh, athletic school as well as a, as a, as a community college was, were you recruited to go there? What was that process like to get you there uh, to Palm Beach Community College? So at that point in time, I um I was going into my senior year of of well finishing my senior year at, at American Heritage, and I was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. And so at that point in time, I had I actually had a couple of decisions to make. Right, I had a decision whether to pursue uh, football first and and then baseball at Brown. So I've been able to do both of those at Brown. Um, go to the, the Citadel, which is in South Carolina, Charleston, wow. South Carolina, to play baseball. Um, or sign a professional contract. Um, and then later on in the game, um, it was made aware to me that I had an opportunity to maybe go to junior college and you know play there for a year and then um, have the opportunity to kind of maybe sign again after my junior year. Um, and as I was talking to the scout in this process, he was kind of explaining to me this other option. Um, and it sounded appealing, but more importantly, my two best friends were going to Palm Beach Community College. And so <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, I don't get to break up this brotherhood as yet. And I, and I um and so so the the scout helped me see this other this other route. Um I already had two really good friends that were going to Palm Beach Community College. Um for me, it made perfect sense. Um and so um I, I started that journey. I started that journey, went to Palm Beach Community College. Um had a really good coach there and Craig Giroux that invested a lot of time in me, um, kind of taught me how to switch hit. Um, and so definitely um, really, really valued, valued at that, that time a lot in my life. A couple of years there, and then uh, you're, you're showing it there. Uh, the, the Vandy boys, uh, Eric Backich, you give him a lot of credit, uh, assistant coach at the time, now the head coach of Michigan baseball, but uh, you give him credit for finding you, bringing you to Vanderbilt and, uh, and certainly a great baseball program on the college level for sure. Yeah, so um, <laughs> Eric Eric Backus and I, we we hit it off from from the beginning. He came down to Palm Beach um, and uh, he saw me play and we just hit it off, it, you know, uh, and it was just a really, I felt um, I felt like I trusted him right from the, from the get-go. Um, and I remember like the funny story here is that 
I remember going on, on a visit. I think I want to say Vanderbilt was my first, my first official visit. So I go on this visit and uh, we were just, you know, kind of going around the school. Once again, another shock to me because I'm like, what's this thing? This is humongous, this campus, um, country music all over the place. I'm like, where's the reggae and, and island music? Um, and so we, uh, it's SEC, is opening weekend of SEC baseball. And I, I forget who they were playing at the time. But it was about 65 degrees and I was freezing. And I remember talking to coach and I was like, hey, coach, like, um, does it get any colder than this? Because if it does, I just can't come here. Like, this is not going to work. And uh, he looks me in the eyes. He's like, this is the coldest it gets. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, all right, deal. I'm in. Um, and so I show up and I remember our first practice, the field was like covered in snow. It was about 30 something degrees, <laughs> but it was the best decision. Uh, one of the best decisions I've made in my life, man. So I'm very thankful for Farrick Backage, um, the way he kind of guided me uh, through that Vanderbilt process. Uh, really, really was um, like a father to me, a uh, father slash brother to me. And then obviously uh, coach Tim Corbin, who runs the whole program, like, um, those are really two influential people in my life. And the Vandy boys, I mean, it's such a brotherhood. You see them in Major League Baseball. As I'm sure you see these guys all the time as you're the, you know, the first base coach of the San Francisco Giants. So I'm sure you see these guys. Do, do you Are you friendly with them? Any of those guys that you played with at Vanderbilt? Uh, so David Price and I actually played together uh, for one year. Obviously, he, he's with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um a lot of a lot of other guys a little younger than me and so uh i didn't get a chance to play with them but we definitely crossed paths and um yeah it, and, and we're all friendly you know what i mean i think um we we hold we 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 have this 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 common brotherhood um and it's, it's funny because obviously um well i shouldn't say obviously but i know the the dodgers giants rivalry is a pretty big rivalry and so um, we get, we face Walker Bueller a lot. He's a Vandy boy. You know, um, we got a couple of guys on our team, uh, Mike Skrimsky, Kurt Casali. Um, and so I think we are friendly, but once, once the, the first pitch is thrown, man, I think it's, it, the gloves go on, you know, um, we wouldn't have it any other way. And so it, it was some fun battles over the last two years that I've been a part of it. Um, uh, and we've seen a lot of Walker Bueller and, uh, he's been really good against us, um. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's always fun, though. It's always fun when you get to line up against um, another Vandy boy um, and, and, and go at it. You know, we, we uh, you know, when we went to Cincinnati, Sonny Gray was pitching. And so like, it's, it's just always fun. I mean, you you want bragging rights. Right. And so it's like going out and trying to find out how how you're going to land a knockout punch. Well, you maybe have some bragging rights over them to December 2008. You got an engineering science degree from Vanderbilt. What are you doing in baseball when you have an engineering degree? I mean, that's that's an amazing accomplishment once again, as you said, coming from the Bahamas to to excel as you have uh, academically as well as athletically is incredible. Yeah, once again, I, I think I attribute it um, back to my grandmother and her, and her teaching days and just always being very influential and kind of like, you know, letting me know the importance of, of, of gaining this, gaining education. And um, and I, and I've seen it, right. I think the fact of being a part of such a prestigious university, um, in a group has definitely opened some, opened some doors for me, but I'm using it. I'm using it to, um, to get the right angles around the bases, right. Trying to figure out the right angles around the bases for, for our base runners. So definitely using that degree on the field. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Yes. Baseball is all about angles. You're, you're exactly right. In the end, you know, you were drafted four different times. Uh, finally, the last time you signed with the San Francisco Giants, what was it like uh, drafted and, and signing your first contract like that? Um, it was a pretty it was a pretty special moment um, and especially for a lot for a few different reasons. Um, I, so one quick story. I, I actually when I first got drafted, you know, I called my mother and I was like, hey, mom, I just want to let you know I got drafted. And she looks at me, she's like, hey, what's a draft? And so I thought that was funny because I was just calling her to try it once again, like her give me some direction. And she was like, you know what? Like, once again, you need to take ownership for this thing and, and run with it. Um, so that was kind of funny. And then, um, you know, going into my junior year, I got an opportunity to be drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, and um, you know, my senior at Vanderbilt wasn't, was definitely not my best year in baseball. It was, it was um, I didn't hit really well. I don't think I even played really well on the field. 
And so after the season, I, I questioned whether or not I would even get an opportunity to pursue uh, professional baseball. Um, and so uh, with the Giants taking a chance on me uh, later on in the draft, um, I was just really thankful because I, I at that point in time, I, I personally didn't think it was I was deserving of it based on my performance on the field. Um, and so at that point in time, you know, it was like kind of like a second win and I just kind of wanted to run with it and just make the most out of it. Um, even though, you know, I know the money was going to be great, you know, that late in, late in the draft. I also knew that like the opportunity in that window was going to be really tiny, um, but wanted to like make the most of it. Um, you know, like, like, like my family and, and so many people who have supported me has, have always encouraged me to do. Bounce around a little bit, but you finally make your, your major league baseball debut 2011, September 4th, 2011. You remember that? You remember what that, that moment was like for you? Yeah, I do. I, I do. I remember, um, I remember on, being on the on-deck circle. Well, I, I remember being in awe at the beginning of the game. Uh, we, were, we were facing the LA Dodgers. Um, Clayton Kershaw was on the mound. Um, and this was the year that he won the Cy Young. He was just striking everybody out. Um, I just remember sitting on the bench talking to, to Michael Bourne at the time. He was like, hey, look, he's like, he's getting ahead and then he's throwing that breaking ball. And like, you know, it's, the breaking ball is tough. You know, you gotta, you gotta be aggressive. And um, I remember going on, I remember get, going on deck. And um, after the hitter got out, um, I looked back at Freddie Gonzalez, who was the manager at the time. And he's like, yeah, you're gonna go hit. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm thinking to myself, as I'm walking to the plate, I'm like, all right, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna bunt? Am I gonna swing? Am I gonna bunt? Am I gonna swing? And in the same process, I'm thinking, don't look up, don't look up, don't look up, uh, you know? Um, and I get into the box first thing, and the first thing I see is this big old jumbo tron with my face on it. I'm like, oh my goodness, here we go. Um, <laughs> and and then, this is with the Braves, right? You're with the Braves at the time. I'm with the Atlanta Braves at the time. And so, um, and then I get into the batter's box and, um, you know, it felt, it felt somewhat familiar. It felt like, oh, I've, I've done this before. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm bunting or swinging at this point in time, right? And I'm thinking, and so last minute I say to myself, well, if I bunt, my friends are going to make fun of me and be like, hey, <laughs> is that what you did in your first at bat? And so I just decided, like, I'm going to swing as hard as I can. And I hit the ball about 120 feet right over the second baseman's head. Uh, I got a hit. So that was that was pretty cool, man. Um, like, just thinking of the journey from the Bahamas to that point in time um, and just so how many people, like, were a part of it. It was just really cool to be able to, to have that moment with them and share that moment with them. And so um, that was, uh, that was pretty, it was pretty exciting. There we go. There's that hit right there. Good job, JR with that. So uh, <laughs> you, know, you always see this, let's see, do we have this? Do, do, do we get the ball? Where, where is that ball now? Uh, my ball's in the possession of my mother. So uh, she has that stored away somewhere. Uh, so that's in her collection. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, against Clayton Kershaw as well. I mean, you know, certainly a, a Hall of Fame pitcher. And to say you have that, I mean, that's going to be a story that you could tell for forever, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's, it was kind of foreshadowing these days now with the Giants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, at the time, and I guess, you know, you were the sixth player for the Bahamas. Now there's there's seven. Jazz Chisholm with uh, uh, the Marlins as well. So only seven players from the Bahamas to ever play in, in, in Major League Baseball. Um I mean, obviously you're in a select company. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I think I think about it all the time. Um, and I think about like, how do we grow that number, to be honest? Because um, I know there are a lot of young people who um, who want to experience that that dream. And we have a lot of talented young people in the Bahamas. So um, I spent a lot of time um, thinking about like, how are we going to how are we going to increase that number, get it to double digits and then to, to three digits? Um, but yeah, I, 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 but I also feel really fortunate, right? I feel really fortunate to be a part of that select group, uh, crew um, and think about the efforts of so many, so many Bahamians before. Um, and I think about the responsibility, you know, as a, as a former, as a former player. And then now, you know, with Jazz and watching his success, just really proud to see the torch that he's carrying. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel very honored um, to be, to be a part of that select group. Um, and, but at the same time, like trying to find ways to make that, that, uh, that fraternity, I guess, grow, grow, um, as soon as possible. Is, is there just not the support or that system? Like you see the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico and other places like that in Latin America, is there, is there just not a, 
that system in place you think right now for the Bahamas to 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 find that talent cultivate it and and get them to the next level yeah no I, th I think there is uh we have some systems put in place um I think we have the talent um we do need a little bit more help right we do need to play some more baseball games I do think um you know we have to find ways to invest in our players a little bit more and I, and I think a critical piece is just like um people like myself, people like Jazz, and people like um, who've had an opportunity to play the game, being able to continue to mentor and 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 help shape and shape the direction that uh, some of the players are going to take, right? And I think, because um, I do I do think there's some some sort of blueprint that's going to help each one of these players maximize their their um, ability, but and and I guess like give themselves a greater chance of making it to the major leagues. And so I think it's just important that we we share that information, but share it in a way that they can understand it um, and make sure it's getting to them. Um, and I think we just got to find a really efficient way to make that happen. And if we're able to do that, then I do think like you will definitely see a lot more Bahamians in the major leagues um, in a short uh, period of time. Well, again, you're one of the few guys. And, you know, after your time with the Braves, you bounced around a little bit, the Orioles, the Twins. And then the Yankees and a big moment for you in your career happened with the Yankees. And it involves another Hall of Famer, Derek Jeter. Tell us about Derek Jeter's last game at Yankee Stadium and your role and a huge moment in that game for him. Yeah, you know, it just comes back. Man. I feel very fortunate to have had these opportunities, right? Like, you know, get my first my first hit off of Clayton Kershaw. Um, and, you know, Chipper Jones was on that team, a, a, a first battle Hall of Famer, and then um, get a chance to play with the Yankees and so many great, great players on that team. Um, and then, like, of all the of all the scenarios and, and things that happened to be a part of Derek Jeter's last at Batty Yankee Stadium. And so, um, obviously, I think everybody knows what Derek Jeter means to the game of baseball and what he's meant to the game of baseball for so long. Um, uh, but here you go right here. <laughs> But yeah, it was a pretty cool moment, man. Um, Derek Jeter's last at bat. I was on second base, and um, he does he did what he he did what he does all the time, right? He hit a base hit to right field. Um, I was running my butt off, and uh, you know, just thinking the whole time, like I better score, I better score because I just I just don't know that I would have been able to leave the stadium if I didn't score <laughs> on that play, and so. Um, it was fun. It was just really cool to be a part of that, and it was just so cool to see him get to 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 create that moment at Yankee Stadium one more time uh, for the fans, and to be a part of it, um, you know, continue to talk about it for a very long time is is has been has been really cool. What did he say to you after that game? Because again, like you said, you you, you hustled. You, you got from second base all the way around on you know a single to right field. So your speed that you had growing up certainly came into play. Uh, uh, did he thank you for for having that speed that day? Yeah, he showed he showed me a lot of love, man. And um, I I think it was just a really emotional day for him. Uh, so I think he was just kind of exhausted from, from like physically from the game, but I think emotionally, um, you know, from you know all those years in in, in New York and 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 um, you know his family being there. So I think it was a really emotional day for him, and he was drained, but um, he's definitely like showed a lot of love. Um, you know, for for myself and 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 like everybody, right? Like he's that's just the type of person that he was, um, or is, I should say. Um, he's just really um, he respects everybody and and treats everybody the same way. Um, just have a have a ton of respect for him and how he goes about his business. Yeah. So again, that's that's great to have that. You know, more or less on your resume to be a part of such a, a big moment, final moment in his career. There. Uh, you know, you bounce around a little bit more after that, the Rangers, the Pirates, even the Dodgers, uh, your hated rivals right now. And then you retired in 2017. What led you to retirement and how tough was that for you to to say, OK, you know, I've, I've had enough playing wise. It's it's time to hang it up. Um, It was tough. I mean, as a competitor, like I think you, 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 at least for me as a competitor, I, you know, I didn't I don't want to just like kind of walk away from anything. Right. Um, but at the same time, like I had to be realistic with the sense of where my heart was and my heart was pulling me in a different direction. And I knew that like, in order for me to compete at the highest level, my heart had to be in it 110%. I just wasn't good enough to like, not have my heart into this thing 110% because I had to work out, uh, as hard as I can. I had to put in the hours in the batting cage on the field, 
Um, and if my heart wasn't there hundred and ten percent, then I just w would not have would not be successful. Um, and so at this point in time, I just recognized that I was being pulled in a different direction, and I needed to answer that call. And um, you know, I I love to put my all into things that I do. And at this point in time, I felt like the need was to kind of serve um, our community in the Bahamas, right? Like, you know, how do I use some of the knowledge and experiences that I've had, and and bring those and bring those to life um, for young people in the Bahamas? And at that point in time, it was it was an easy decision when it came when I started to think of it in that capacity, um, and one that I'm grateful that I made, um, and just you know continue trying to find ways to like empower you know the youth in our country and 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 help them to. Um, to have more opportunities than they currently do. Is that Project Limestone youth programs that that uh, you're you're involved with? Tell us about that. Yeah, so Project Limestone, um, you know, it's just a nonprofit that I founded with um, with some with uh, Bria DeVoe, um, the guy named Sean Sands and Krishad Lang, and and uh, we, you know, funny thing about the name, right? So first of all, we thought about the name and we, the Bahamas, um, which is made up of, of mostly limestone rock. And the cool part about the story I like to share is that so limestone by itself is a very porous material and it like um, wind and, and water kind of deteriorate it. But if you cultivate it the right way, you can build structures that stand the test of time. So we have a few forts back in Nassau that have been there from the, the 1700s and made a limestone. And so, you know, our thought is like, how do we um, like how do we come together as a country? How do we come together as a people? How do we make diversity and make it strong? And so like our thought is like, you know, um, we have uh, independently strong, united, unitedly unbreakable, and united unbreakable. And so, that that's just been our mantra this whole time. It's just like how are we going to find strength in, in this diversity? And so, you know, I yeah, we we just really just trying to find ways to pour into communities and 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 help help young people be curious learners, respect themselves, respect themselves, respect others. And ultimately, um, they they have this passion to to go after their dreams. Um, because of that confidence that that's been instilled with them. Sounds like you put that engineering degree uh, to good use there, coming up with that name, and you knew exactly <laughs> limestone and, and what it was used for. Uh, yeah, I wish I could take credit for that, but I was probably be just agreeing with some other people. <laughs> there, there you go. We'll give you the credit. We'll give you the credit. <laughs> well, well, along with that, then uh, eventually you you start coaching, and um, tell us about that. How'd you get into coaching? Obviously, uh, you know, now with the, the Giants, did you just start with the Giants right away? No. So when I was back home at Project Limestones, I got a couple of phone calls from a, a couple of different teams about the opportunity to coach. Um, at that point in time, you know, I, I wanted to kind of take a little time away from the game. And like I said, like invest in the Bahamas. Um, and then as I was talking to like some of my colleagues, we, you know, recognized like, hey, like, there's a way to be able to invest in the Bahamas, but also bring more awareness to the Bahamas. And what better way to bring awareness than like, you know, being in the game around people that care about these things. And so at that point in time, um, I was fortunate enough that Toronto Blue Jays had called and um, they had a position. It's kind of a, it was a fellowship. And so um, it didn't require me to be there full time. Um, and so it was an opportunity to go in there and learn um, more about baseball, learn about this side of the game, and also an opportunity to invest time into the development of what they were trying to create there and win the championship. Um, and I think our, our values aligned, um, and so it was an easy decision. And um, so I, I joined I joined the Toronto Blue Jays in 2000, late 2018, um, and was able to to spend a lot of time working with them, but also. Um, had some time, make, uh, created time to come back and make sure we continue to build uh, the foundation of Project Limestone. Um, and it wasn't until um, 20, I'm sorry, started with the Blue Jays in the ending of 2017, 2017. And then it wasn't until the beginning of 2019 that I joined the, joined the San Francisco Giants um, within their minor league system. And then in 2020, it was my first, my first year on the major league staff. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of how my my coaching journey began. Yeah, your your coaching journey began almost you know the same way with the, your playing journey as far as signing a contract with the Giants. You go go back with the Giants, and so your first year is a pandemic year. What what was that like? You know, as as a coach, being in these games with no fans, maybe just you know the 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 noise pumped in the crowd noise. What was it like for for you guys as coaches and players to be in these empty arenas? You know, at first, I, you know, I, I I didn't know what to expect, and then 
what I really appreciated was the competitive nature of the players. Like, I think like the competition didn't change. It was still like, I'm trying to beat you every single day. And I think that was really cool. Even though we didn't have fans in the stands, uh, it, I don't think it changed the level of commitment to compete every single night. Um, and so, and that was, that was really cool to be a part of. Um, and it made me, it, it, it kind of made me just like kind of sit back and recognize like, wow, like this is what, professional professional sports is like the ultimate competition right like you don't need like you don't need this um external motivation to be able to compete at a high level um however um the fans just enhance that right like i think they just they kind of bring a little bit a different a different type of emotion to the game that didn't exist and so um one i would say last year uh, <laughs> last year was good because it was my first time doing it. And I have I didn't have people heckling me the whole time, right? <laughs> so uh, it was a good way to get my my feet wet. Um, and then this year, man, it was it was just electric to to be in the stadiums and, and to see the fans back, um, the pack houses, and to see the passion that they have, and, and enjoy the heckling. You know what I mean? Uh, but I, I, you know, it was good to get sixty games under my belt um, and kind of get into a routine and, and figure some things out before. Um, before having everybody, everybody uh, are roasting me, I guess. Um, and so, so it, 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 it was, it was fun, but I, I definitely, we missed the fans and having the fans has been a really, really good, but I also think there's been, there was a benefit for people like myself who have never done it before to kind of get the feet wet. Yeah. There are a lot of rookies. I think that came up that, that had a chance, like you said, the pand- pandemic year don't have those big crowds and those fans maybe make them nervous. Uh, let's go into this year. Now you, you go into the year, Dodgers have the big payroll. They're picked to win it all. The Padres making big signings. They're they're there to compete. At the Giants, you know they're 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 in the West as well. You guys weren't given any credit going into the year, and you guys finish up the with the best record in baseball. Um, how how'd you do it? How'd you guys do it? Uh we just we just won 107 games. <laughs> Easy, um, right? Easy. <laughs> no, I I, I think. Um, I think you just when you when you you say how you do it, you just kind of look at the organization. Um, you look at the people on the field, look at the players, you look at the staff, um, and then you kind of step back. You think of the front office, you think of everybody in the baseball office department, and you just realize like how much time and effort went into it from everybody. Right? It was just a collective. It literally was a collective effort. I don't I don't know that we went 107 games without every single piece of that operation kind of working. Um, and I think that we we all felt it, you know. I think you know it started with the players and their and their like confidence that hey, we're gonna go and win this division. And then we had the staff and front office that was gonna support the players in that in that journey. Um, and like I said, I just think it was just a, a collective effort, um, but led by the players. And um, we just we just invested the time um, and worked as a unit. Um, and, you know, we just found ways to win games like every night. And, I, and we, you know, we took it one game at a time. I know it's a cliche, but that, that was that's what it was. But it took everybody. It took everybody working together for that to happen. It wasn't easy. Um, it was exhausting. Um, I think at the end of the season, I know for me, I was like, I was like, wow, like I didn't realize how exhausting it was, but it was really exhausting. Um, it, t- it took a lot. It took a lot out of me personally, um, but it was worth every minute of it. Yeah, so many. uh bottom of the ninth inning extra inning wins for you guys uh, this year as well T- tell us about you know first base coach obviously you're there during the game and you're at first base but but what are your other roles as a first base coach on a, on a major league baseball team so it it varies from team to team um i just know some of my responsibilities included base running as well as outfield um development and some of the tactical stuff in terms of how we position and whatnot and so a lot of my work actually happened um before the game right there's a lot of scouting um, trying to understand um, ways that we can expose the other team. Um, and then also just making sure that our guys, our players, sorry, are, are, are well-prepared or as prepared as they can be, um, you know, to succeed on any given night, um, making sure they're in the right position, they have all the things they need. Um, and then also me doing as, as much studying on the pitchers um, and, and the arms just to kind of give us a competitive advantage once we get on the base. And so a lot of a lot of a lot of the work happens before, and it's just like a lot of um, it's just a lot of scouting, um, and just trying to and once again like individualizing it to find out 
how am I going to help player A? You know, how am I going to help this player and that player in, in any given situation as fast as I can? What is that conversation? All right, you get, you've got a guy at first base. What, what's that conversation you guys have when he gets there? Well, first it's like, thanks for getting over here. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, it's usually, it's usually, you know, some general stuff, right? Making sure that we, we understand the outs, we understand the situation. Um, you know, some guys want different information, right? Some guys want to know the time to the plate that the pitch is doing. Um, some guys want to know like, Hey, just want to, to reconfirm the outfield arms. Um, and then like, you know, some guys like, you know, we're not, we're not, we're waiting for them to hit the ball. So we're not going to really do much. It's just like, Hey, how are we going to maximize this lead? Um, some guys like, Hey, let me check, let me check in with the first base, but see how he's doing. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> but you know, and then, you know, if we have something, you know, if we have something that's going to help us out, right? Like if we have something, um, that the pitcher's doing is going to help us gain 90 feet, then like we're going to share that information and we're going to look for it. And when we get that opportunity, we're going to, we're going to take advantage of it. Um, you know, if we have something anywhere, like we're just going to talk about that. And if, if, it, if it comes up, we want to be prepared to punks. And so I think the most important, one of the most important things that I'm, I'm doing there is just making sure that we're prepared for when the moment happens. Right. Like, um, cause I think, you know, those, they don't happen. You might get it once the entire game, but we want to make sure we're prepared um, to take, to take that opportunity when it happens. And so that's kind of what the conversations are about, just making sure that we're prepared for the opportunity. Your scan report, I'm sure you've got to take into the account the, the ballpark you're in as well for different situations where, you know, maybe a, a ball down the right field line at some ballparks you can get, go first to third, other times you can. Is, is that important as well to know where you're at and, and you know how fields how ballparks play sometimes yeah absolutely and um the players the players are really good they they're like they're, they're really smart um <laughs> they uh they're they're really smart when it comes to like baseball and, and knowing and knowing those situations and so most of the times like they just really make good good decisions i'm probably just an annoying person just like telling them information that they already know most of the time and so um but that's part of my job is to be annoying, right? And just making sure that they have that information. Um, but to your point, yeah, I think, you know, we have to take into consideration the way the ballpark plays, um, take into consideration um, how the ball comes off the wall, all, all these different things we like to try to take into consideration when we're making our decisions. You mentioned the first baseman. Uh, who's the best first baseman that, that, that you've enjoyed? Uh, that maybe you have a, you know, a chance to talk a little bit. We see Freddie Freeman. We see a guy like Albert Pujols. Who... Who's one of your favorites to, to talk to on the opposing team? Um, good question. So Freddie and I played played together in Atlanta. So um, you know that's always fun to kind of catch up with the guys you played with. Um, Hosmer's pretty. He's he's pretty talkative over there. Pretty 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 nice guy. Uh, Bellinger pretty cool with the Dodgers. Um, you know, I think it's it. Matt Olson with the A's. You know, I I think. Um, they all, like I haven't ran I haven't run into anybody who I'm like oh boy it's gonna be a long day over there you know what I mean so they've all been like in some they they have their own personalities uh, and they've all been like really really cool to get to know a little bit over there um, even when they get out you know what I mean they're still kind of they still kind of cool to talk to so um, but but I would say you know Fred I think Fred and I have had some of the more extensive conversations just because we we had a, we have a little history together. How about when you're at first base and the opposing dugout is is next to you? Uh, you hear anything from those guys at all, uh, negative or positive? Uh, more, more negative than positive. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, every once in a while, you get you get a couple guys just kind of chirping in a in a in a fun fun loving way. Um, especially if I have a Vandy guy in the, in the next dugout, right? They're just like on on me the whole entire game. They just they just won't stop talking. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's usually some fun banter going back and forth, um, you know, but usually, um, you know, you, yeah, it's just usually fun banter going back and forth. And then every once in a while, it's like nobody's talking to anybody. It's like it's pretty tense, you know. Yeah. So other times it's like, you know, like you you, you like a, a pin dropping away from from a fight. Right. <laughs> and so um, it's just some awareness on both sides of it. Um, but most most of the times. Like I got a friend uh, with the Padres, um, Ryan Flaherty, who went to Vanderbilt, and he, you know, when he's just like chirping the whole entire time. Like I was just like, I'm like, man, get away from me, you know. Uh, and so 
we uh so yeah it's, it's definitely chirping going on from the frozen dugout uh you know a lot <laughs> well again you're part of a coaching staff where your manager was the manager of the year in the, in the national league and I'm sure you guys take that almost as a, as a team award. What did it mean when, when Gabe Kapler got that award? And again, you're part of his coaching staff. Yeah, I think um, it, I was, just, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that, of that staff, right? I'm glad to be a part of um, what, what we're trying to create and what we are creating in San Francisco. And so um, award or not, right? I just think like, um, just really proud to be a part of that diverse group that um, continues to try to get better every day and find ways to win. Um, I think Kapla has been a, a really good leader um, for the staff as well as the players. Um, and he's just done a really good job. And so I, I, you know, for him to get that recognition as an individual, um, I think it was well-deserved. And I think it was so in the next, I was just like, man, it's an honor to be a part of the staff that you put together. Um, and to go on this journey with, because it hasn't always been easy. I mean, um, you know, I think you can look at 107 games and and be you know excited about that. But we also went 29, 29 and 31 in 2020, um, and it wasn't. And the first 20 games of that season um, was rough. You know, what I mean, like we didn't like, you know, we we took a lot of backlash from a lot of different people, uh, but we stayed the course. And I think he he was a big reason for that. Um, for helping us stay the course and so helping us to like gain our traction and foot in in 2020 to finish strong um to springboard us into into 2021 and um and help us win the win the nls it's tough for you as as a coach on that team to see it end unfortunately the way it did for the the giants again you have the best record all year long and you know to have the dodgers and giants play and it wasn't even for the the, you know the National League Championship. It was almost a shame when it, when you look at it for Major League Baseball standpoint. But uh, was it a tough ending for you guys? Obviously. Yeah, I think anytime. I mean, I, I think anytime that you, well, let me start. I think you always want to win the last game of the season. I, I think um, that's why you play, right? You play to be the champion, and so that was disappointing, and that that, that we you know that we didn't get a chance to continue to go on. Um, but I think there was a lot of fulfillment in the things that happened throughout the year. And I think, you know, um, take away the 107 wins, you start to think about the relationships that were built. You start to think about the progress that was made. Um, you think about um, the, 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 the chemistry and culture that was built. Um, and you, and you, you sit there and you feel really good about that, you know, because those are things that are sustainable. And those are things that, that have an opportunity to translate into the next year and years to come that allow you um, a platform to continue to win. And so um, was it disappointing to to not like move on? Absolutely. Um, but was it really fulfilling to experience what we did this entire year? Absolutely as well. And I think uh, I think we as a group have um, have been able to hold on to the things that have been really fulfilling and recognize that those things we have an opportunity to kind of use as a platform going into to 2022. To, to try and do to try and do the same thing and a little bit more right try to win win the west one more time um and try to advance a little further into the playoffs and hopefully you know we are playing um playing to win that last game of the, of the entire season in, in major league baseball unfortunately we'll do it with a new catcher as um you know buster posey <laughs> decided to retire what a year he had after a year off during the pandemic um and and playing some high level baseball were you surprised that he retired um, it's a good question. Um, I guess, uh, yes and no, you know, I, I, you know, I think when you, when you listen to his press conference, his press conference and you hear, you know, his reasonings, his reasons for retiring and, and you, you sit there and you recognize like those are things that are really important to him and, um, and you just applaud him for, you know, being able to make that tough decision, um, and being able to go spend some time with his family. And so definitely not surprised, not I'm not surprised that um, he's decided to spend more time with his family. Um, but I think the other end of it, you think like, wow, like what a great year. You think, he, you know, he'll come back and do it again. But so I guess to answer your question, ultimately not surprised because I think Buster has, um, you know, in the short time I've gotten to know him, um, the things that he he values and he puts into perspective um, are the things that he's helped, that's helped him to come to this tough decision. And so um, just really, really excited for him, really excited for his family. Um, 
and I'm glad that he gets to do it his way, you know. Um, and I think that's a really cool, that's a really cool, and he deserves that. Yeah, I'm sure another uh, Hall of Famer that you'll be, uh, you know, part of. What what made him so special as a, as a catcher, not just this year, but in his career? I know you've only been around him a couple of years, but w- what did you see in him, and what made him such a special player? Um, I just think his his ability to um, to just approach the game with such calmness on a, on ev- um, any given situation. I'm not even say every day. It's just like every given situation, right? Um, his ability to you know, in a high pressure moment to really slow the game down and, and, and make it seem as if like he's been, he's playing with football in his backyard. Right. Um, and so, and, it, and if the game's moving too slow, being able to speed it up a little bit to get to the pace that we needed to, so that we as a team could, could excel. Um, and so obviously we could talk about, you know, the way he throws the baseball, the way he catches and the way he hits. Um, but I think his ability to every day to just be a calming presence um, for everybody around him, um, we're going to miss that. We're going to miss that daily. Um, you know, I, I think that was something that you, you just, we have no way to develop, right? Like, um, um, well, I shouldn't say we have no way to develop. I, I don't know how to develop it. Let me put it like that. And, um, but I know we, we really valued that and really cherished that. And, and I think that's, you know, we're going to miss that a lot about, about him. Well, let's talk about you and, and, and what's in your future. You're obviously very, you know, young into your coaching career. Where do you see this taking you? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think, um, I'm really, I'm really excited about, about being the first base coach of the San Francisco Giants. Um, I, you know, when I think about, um, coaching, I think about impacting, um, um, players, um, and also like impacting, you know, the Bahamas, you know, by being like, by people being motivated by what I do. And so those are the things that drive me. And as of right now, I think the focus is just continue to do, do the particular job I have like really, really well, um, and focus on that. And then um, if there are opportunities that come from that, then that'll be great. And I, I kind of explore them as they come, if they if they do come. But um, my only focus right now is to be the best first base coach I can be for the San Francisco Giants um, and then be a really good ambassador slash role model for the Bahamas and, and continue to encourage and inspire young people back home. Um, and I get to do that every single day in this particular role. Um, and so that's a very that's very fulfilling to me. So, you know, if. But I, I, but I'm saying like, if something something does pop up, like I do think you have to weigh those options and see like, hey, does this give you an, an opportunity to impact the things that are important to you greater? Um, do you have a, an opportunity to to really give back to your country more um, in doing so? And so those are things I kind of think about as as I go through. But right now is is coach first base, continue to learn because I still have a lot to learn, man. I, I you know I, I've only been doing it for a short period of time. Um, there's a ton to learn, a ton to get better at, and I'm looking forward to those challenges um, every day. Could you see yourself as a Major League Baseball manager at some point in your career? Um, at this point in time, just I don't think I'm smart enough at this point in time, right? <laughs> you have an engineering um, degree from Vanderbilt. I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, if maybe if we had a, a Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt Major League Baseball team, someone might trust me and trust go. me in that. Um, but at the, at this point in time, it's just tough to say. Like I, I, I really there's so much I think that I, I want to learn and get better at. Um, and then the next part about his family, right? Is thinking about like you know spending time you know with the people that you love and like how that impacts that, um, you know. So we'll we'll see, man. Uh, you know this this has been a crazy journey for me. You know you start off talking about like Brown and all these different things, like, um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I I probably would have never predicted that would happen in my lifetime. Um, and being a manager is one that I haven't, I haven't thought about or predicted either. And so, but I know based on my story, some crazy, crazier things have happened. So we, you know, who knows? Um, but if we do, we'll reconnect and talk about that. <laughs> how, how can people follow you? How can people maybe get involved with, um, with project limestone? Um, because again, you're doing great work and, and, and it's, you know, I could tell it's not about you. It's about, uh, you know, the, the youth and, your priorities are certainly in the, in the right place. How can people kind of get involved or, or, or follow you in your progress? Well, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that, man. That's really kind of you. Um, I think you go to projectlimestone.org, O-R-G, and uh, you drop us a line in there, um, and, we, and we'll be in touch. Um, I think if people want to follow me, um, I'm not I'm not the greatest at social media. Um, I do have an Instagram account. I think it's um, um, I think it's Antoine Richardson. Um, so I, I do have an Instagram account. If you know, if you want to shoot me a, a, a line uh, through that, I, I check that every once in a while. But um, 
but yeah, contact us at Project Limestone. Um, reach out on social media. I think Instagram probably the best place to get me on on that particular one. Um, and yeah, I love to chat, especially if it's about the Bahamas and um, you know if it's about development, if it's about young people and and impacting. Um, definitely love to have the conversation. Well, well again, you, you've made your mom and your Grammy proud. What a, a great story you have of. Um just success nothing but success for you and uh we wish you all the best moving forward wherever your career may take you and certainly uh, a lot of luck with uh, project limestone like you said let's see more uh youth from bahamas get involved with major league baseball and and more than just seven and and, and get that number to grow that'd be great to see no doubt man mike i appreciate you taking the time and having me on the show it's been a pleasure and uh look forward to doing it here in a couple of years when when some of your predictions come come to come to pass <laughs> All right, there you go. Thank you, Antoine. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Well, again, my thanks to Antoine Richardson joining us here today. Also, thanks to Joe Rosen, one of our previous guests, for helping us hook up with Richardson. What a great story. Go check out Project Limestone, and we thank them for providing some of our footage that we saw here today. Also, 4848 Soccer for providing some of that footage as well. We thank you for that. So another great episode. We appreciate you watching. Make sure you like, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We'll see you next time. Another edition of In the Front Row with Mike Picaro. Have a great day, everybody.